Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm Matthew Thiel, joined as always today by Joshua Winterswag. Josh, how's it going over there? Great. Excited to record our 11th episode. Yeah, this is a big episode for us today. Uh, Brent, how are you doing? And uh, tell the listeners what we're going to be talking about. I'm doing outstanding today, and it's one of the topics that I've been waiting for months and months to record. It's something that I wanted to do since day one. So I'm excited about that, and today we're going to be talking about the ugly truth about annuities. That sounds like a great show. Um, so why don't you start by kind of telling the listeners you know, a little history about annuities. So annuities are a contract between you and the insurance company. And a lot of people think that annuities are relatively new, but they're not. Annuities have been around for hundreds of years, actually. Now, in America, they were actually started around 1812, and they were offered to the public by the Pennsylvania company. But they really started to take and and pick up steam around 1918 when the Teachers Insurance Annuity Association, which is now known as TIA-CREF, introduced these. They really started to introduce these types of annuities to teachers to offer them pension plans and so forth through their annuities. And then in 1952, TIA-CREF offered the first variable annuity. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think uh, that's misconception number one about annuities that most people have is that they're some new sort of product or that they're an investment. But two things you said, one, yes, it's actually an insurance contract. And two, they've been around for hundreds of years. Right. And there's just so many different types of annuities, and that's what makes it confusing. And hopefully today we can try to go through those to clean up some of what you may not know about them. Yeah, absolutely. So there's three types of annuities, like you mentioned. The first is fixed annuity, which I'll I'll talk about. And and a fixed annuity works quite like a CD. So what you do is you would write a check to the insurance company. So call it, we'll say $500,000. And in return, you would get an an interest, call it three, 4%, just like a CD. And you have a structured contract term call it three, five, 10, 15 years, just how like a CD works. The, the difference is they're not really quite as liquid as CDs. Josh, what's an index annuity? An indexed annuity is a hybrid between a fixed annuity. So Matt mentioned like a CD or certificate of deposit, um, like offered at the bank, um, and a variable annuity. So it has downside protection. So it is a product that has downside protection, but upside growth potential that's tied to the stock market. Like, did I do that well on that definition? Brent? So in a fixed index annuity, you really have two options. You have the fixed option and then you have the indexed option and you can allocate your, your monies inside of your contract to either one of those or to both of those. The index side of it generally in most annuity contracts will follow some kind of index. And, and generally that for the most part is usually found with the S&P 500. People will pick that index. It's in a lot of annuities. But nowadays, and I'm sure you guys have seen this also, there's a lot of these strange new indexes that they pick out, that they throw in the annuity contract that you probably don't know very much about, and they're telling you to allocate some of your money towards those indexes, and there's not very much history on them. So an index annuity, you could follow both the fixed side or the index side, or you could follow either one or both inside of your contract, How depending on how you want to allocate those do you, monies. Do you see that the, in fixed index annuities, though, more often are they tied to an index, like a stock market, for higher growth than the fixed rate? Yes, because you have the ability to earn a higher interest, so that, and that will get into our caps and how they work, but yes. Okay. 
Matt, do you want to touch on the, the next annuity? Yeah, the third type of annuity you could come across is a variable annuity. And variable annuities are very unique. It's really two different things happening. One, it's an annuity contract structure where you're investing in mutual funds. So think of like maybe we have a box. And inside of that box, we're putting mutual funds in there. And that acts as your growth engine. So if the mutual funds do good, then your performance does good. If they do bad, then the performance of your annuity does bad. One thing with variable annuities is they typically have much higher fees than if you were to just invest in mutual funds outside of an annuity. One, because you're paying for the annuity, but then you also still have to pay for the mutual funds. So usually the fees on variable annuities get up to you know anywhere between 2 to 4%. Correct. Many yeah. layers of fees. Yes, absolutely. Anything left to add? I think that one of the misunderstandings that the media and the public does or does not know about annuities are that annuities are in general, there's no way to say that annuities are bad. You can't say annuities are great. You can't say annuities are bad because the reason that people purchase an annuity is for tax deferral. You know, if you were going into an annuity and you were using for exactly what it's for, it's being used for tax deferral. But there's other things that it could be used for. You could have a steady stream of income, like you said. You could get a fixed payment over a period of time. But where it starts to get expensive in these variables is in the index annuities is when you start adding a bunch of these riders. You can add a bunch of features that you probably are never going to use, that you probably never are going to need, and then all of a sudden your fees start getting into that higher end of that spectrum of what you said around 4%. Kind of like buying a car. You you have a base model. The fancier you want it, the more features, or in the insurance world you call them riders, right. and it keeps tacking on fee after fee after fee depending on how complex you want the variable annuity to be. Yeah, and in the car you may use those features, but in the annuity probably unlikely that you would use a lot of them. Yeah, it seems like they're very specific to someone's needs, not general, like this feature is good for everybody. Yep, and a lot of times we see them stacked on top of each other. Right. I think it's interesting you mentioned steady stream of income uh, to go back for it. There's actually only two ways you can get income out of an annuity. The first is to annuitize your money. And what most people don't realize when you actually annuitize your annuity, you've handed your money to the insurance company for the rest of your life. Yes. There's no way of going back. Yeah. When you annuitize, your beneficiaries aren't going to receive anything. Right. And the second way is you could put an income rider on it. Correct. And that income rider is a separate feature like the two of you were just mentioning, kind of like maybe adding in heated seats. Right. Right. Or more horsepower. More, yeah. More <laughs> horsepower. There you go. That, yeah. Chances are you probably aren't, aren't going to flip that on. Right. Um, Josh. Who sells annuities? Like, how, how do I get one of these? Well, financial advisors sell annuities, and, and I think more specifically insurance agents sell annuities. You have to have an insurance license um, to actually be able to sell as a financial advisor an annuity. But there's also just insurance agents that sell annuities standalone as well. Yeah. I'm a financial advisor, and I don't have an insurance license. Therefore, I can't sell annuities. Right. I'm also a certified financial planner. And I don't have an insurance license. Therefore, I can't sell annuities at all. Uh, neither do I anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you have to have an insurance license to uh, sell annuities. So, theoretically, in the state of California, at least the person selling you a life insurance policy, if they're not securities licensed, the only 
investment and I'm using air quotes type vehicle they could potentially sell you is an annuity which is why you probably get sold one when you go to purchase life insurance the tricky thing though is advisors can actually end up wearing multiple hats where they're an investment advisor but they're also an insurance agent who has the ability to sell annuities and that's where the conflict of interest kind of gets going Brent anything to add yeah, it's complicated here because your advisor could be telling you that they're a fiduciary, but they could be telling you that while they're selling an annuity, which really under their insurance license are held to a suitable standard. So even though they may be talking about securities in that same meeting or stocks and bonds in your portfolio, while they're also talking to you about the insurance product that they're trying to sell you, they're not under the fiduciary standard anymore. Now they're under a suitable standard. So in the same conversation, they are wearing multiple hats and that's really can get dicey right there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the whole licensing regulation is a very complex topic that, I mean, we could dive into on another podcast if listeners would like to learn all about it. But for the purpose of today's episode, just understand if you're purchasing an annuity, you're buying it from an insurance agent. Right. And you can see just the complexity just between the difference in the annuities and then the difference of advisors selling them. Like sure. a lot of research has to be done before making that big decision of buying this sort of product. Right. Brent, talk to us a little bit about kind of like how, how fee-only advisors have evolved this. So let's talk about sort of the landscape about how annuities picked up steam. So at the turn around 2000 or so, annuities really their sales started to pick up and started to increase. More insurance companies got in the landscape of selling annuities. And what happened was is commissions started to pick up. They would offer at that time 10, 11, 12% commissions on products. So if you sold annuity, you can make a 10 or 11% commission, which is a tremendous number. That's huge. And that continued on. We saw commissions sort of go down in the mid 2000s. The insurance companies then said, we are going to be able to offer products to advisors to offer to their clients, but we're not going to compensate the agent. When that happened and they started offering these products and they stripped the commissions out of them, the products for the clients became so much better. So basically what then was happening was from 2015 on, anybody who was going to be selling an annuity who was getting compensated for it was going to be selling a much inferior product to their client because now there's all these much better life insurance products, annuity products that the client can use, but it's not going to compensate the advisor or the insurance agent. So an insurance agent or a broker who's getting compensated for it, do you think they're selling the fee only one? Probably not. They're going to make a lot less money. Yeah. They're not going to make anything and not an upfront commission on it. And if that's the case, then it the landscape really started to change at that point. Now, here's the sad part. In 2018, the fiduciary rule didn't pass. They squashed it. Obama came out, Trump came in, and all of that started to change. Now that that is out, but these products and insurance companies have picked up steam where they still have a lot of these annuities, and they're still making more of them to be able to offer to the client that doesn't compensate the advisor, but is that much better for the client? Yeah, that, I think you've really summarized why it's in a client's best interest to seek out working with a fee-only financial planner. You're going to lose that conflict of interest of commission. And in turn, you're going to even get better offered better investment solutions. 
Yeah, just better products. And I think the scare of making every advisor being held to the fiduciary standard promoted the insurance companies to give advisors the tools to be fiduciaries, like you were saying, right. which just equated into a lot better financial planning products for clients. You guys know this. It's an extremely strong opinion that I have that at this point, from 2015 on, anybody who sells an annuity or insurance product that pays them a commission is only doing it for themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's well put. Like you said, I mean, these contracts can offer 10% commission. So if you want to make 100000 a year, you have to sell a million dollars in annuities. Right. If you want to make 200000 a year, you have to sell... Two million annuities. It's quite possible you could sell five million dollars in annuities and make five hundred thousand a year. Yeah, That's th- more than doctors make. To me, there there really are zero benefits to a commission based annuity. There's none, and that's why the the mindset is so much different when working with a fee only advisor, because you you really are putting your client's best interest at heart. If you weren't, then why wouldn't you not just go sell annuities and go make a ton of money? It's so much easier to go make a ton of money to go sell these products and get paid six, seven, eight percent commissions. And guess what? You have a steady stream of income coming in. And but here's the problem: it's not in the best interest of the client. It's not the right thing to do. But yet, so many people. I mean, the majority of our industry and the landscape is just selling these things during these steak dinners. If I was selling annuities, I'd be driving a Tesla and not a Prius. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a good point. So, Brent, let's kind of walk the listeners through, because it could be hard for them to tell, and people are not honest. What's the sales process look like? How does an individual get sold an annuity that has a commission, that has worse product features? And I think just to even start before that about like the process is just also understanding how many people have annuities. You know, I think it, the last statistics is like almost half of American households have an annuity. So how do they get them? Right. And, and it's much easier to understand if you're a baby boomer, because chances are, if you're a boomer, you have received uh, nonstop in your mailbox over the last seven or eight years invitations to go to these free dinners. There's a certain point where you get to your age at 52, 53 or so or beyond. And all of a sudden you get on the list and people are now selling you and inviting you to go to these steak dinners. Here's how it works. The company, your your local insurance company that you work, that's a, a local company that works with as, as advisors and works with clients in your community, sends out three, four, five thousand mailers out in your local area. They set up a night where they're going to offer this presentation and for you to sign up and go to this steak dinner. This process generally the mailer costs the company about two to three thousand dollars to send out. And the mailer's the postcard. The mailer's the postcard that you get in the mail that's inviting you to go. And there's some variable costs that go into that. And then they have to pay for the dinner. But when you're at the dinner, they're giving you a presentation on a topic that sounds really attractive and the mailer looks good and it makes them seem like they're this big conglomerate and there's these special speakers and they know all the answers to tax-free income or the social security. Uh, hidden messages and there's just all these cliche types things that that hook you so you go to the dinner whether you're motivated by the dinner or you're motivated by the topic they get the room full of 25 or 30 people and when they're there they're telling you on these different types of topics and they're hitting the points that they they put on the postcard 
And at the end, they're having you sign up for this meeting with them. And at the end, probably four to seven of those people, maybe 10, are going to sign up for meetings. But what you're signing up for is to go meet with the advisor and they're going to give you some type of report, a report that's red money, green money, yellow money, blue money. It, it doesn't matter. They're trying to sell you some kind of basic report that they're going to provide you when you come into the office. You come in the office and they know from that process that they're going to sell two or three of those people, maybe one, maybe zero, but they're going to get a couple of people probably from that. And when they do, because right now commissions on insurance products, let's say over the last seven or eight years have ranged from six to 8% on news. Would you guys say that's fair? Like just where things are at now? Yeah. They know that if they just roll over $100,000, that they're going to be making six to $8,000 in commissions just on 100,000. If you roll over 200,000, now you're making 16 or now you're making 12. And that's a pretty good return on investment. And what they do is just do it over and over and over again. And if you do have an annuity and you've been through this process and your advisor or agent isn't calling you, here's why. Because you're 40 seminars ago. They've moved on to the next seminar. This is a business process where they go through and month after month after month after month and multiple times a month, they do these seminars and they're just there to sell you the annuity, get you in the office, close you, we'll see you in a few weeks, bring you back in. And then a few months later, they might bring you back in. And then after that, then a couple years later, you're gone. Yeah, well put. Um, at these dinners, are they giving ribeyes or skirt steak? Usually, you don't really get the picking of your the whole menu, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's a prefix <laughs> menu. Yeah. They're trying to keep costs down. But it's not hard to get an insurance license, and it's not hard to run this type of business model. Do you have to have a college degree to have an insurance license? No. And I looked up a local firm who's doing a lot of these steak dinners, and five of the six advisors have disclosures against them. Wow. And, and that means like how, who would work with a company where they have five of six advisors have disclosures. Disclosures are things like felonies, client complaints. There's multiple issues that they're have that they've had on them. Like look up your advisor agent, but especially before you go to their steak dinners, research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah do your research. That, that was great, Brent. So let's kind of start discussing some of the sales pitches, right? So they have you in the office. And the insurance agent or advisor, depending on how many licenses he has, how is he getting the prospect or prospective client to sign the annuity contract? Usually annuities are really based on fear. Um, it's a fear type sell. It's, you know, what happens if the stock markets crash and all of your retirement goes down? Or what happens if you're not going to have enough money to live off of because the market drops 20%? It's that whole thing. If Let me ask you this, Matthew. If I asked you, if you're a retirement client, you're sitting across from me, I said, do you want to lose 20 or 30% of your retirement? What would your answer be? My answer would be, no, that sounds awful, Brent. I yep. do not want to lose 20 to 30% of my retirement money. Exactly. So these are the types of questions that they ask you that get you thinking that, hey, well, I don't want to lose my money. I've worked hard for this. I've saved my whole life. Well, I don't want to lose it. I don't want to be in the streets when I'm you know, 80 years old. So they go down this rabbit hole where they're focusing you on the negatives and this is how you're going to protect your money. Get a bonus now. You have upside protection without the downside risk. Here's a 10% free bonus that we're going to hook you in with. But guess what? It doesn't work like that. It's fear selling. It's it's pretty much like when you're trying to bid on a house and the realtor calls you and tells you, oh, you know what? There's someone else bidding on it. Yep. Yep. You better up your offer a little bit. But it is a well-oiled machine. I mean, just 
you know, saying bonus sounds good. Like, yeah. do you want a bonus? I mean, at work, that's positive, right? I got a bonus. Do yeah, you I want mean, a bonus? I mean, what could be better? I could have upside potential of the market without any downside risk, and I get a bonus, and I don't have to. I don't have to worry about my money going down twenty percent. Sounds like a perfect scenario. It's far from that. Let's debunk the bonus real quick. All right, it's safe to say, probably the average annuity contract length is ten years. Can we use that? Yes, sure. Average bonus is what five ten percent. What do you want to use? Either one. It's it's they're both probably ten percent is most common. It's most commonly sold because it comes with a bigger commission. So most people who hear bonuses they hear ten because they're getting the insurance agents getting paid more. So your bonus over ten years is really just an extra one percent return each year on your annuity each year. Yeah, that annuity bonus uh, can be misleading. Matt, do you have anything to add to uh, annuity bonuses? No, other than that they are, you know, a really bad investment and a really poor return on your money. I have nothing else to add. Well, that's definitely a disadvantage of uh, an annuity or can be. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Do you want to um, kind of get us started on some other disadvantages with annuities? Yeah, another disadvantage of the annuity is the free withdrawal. On a decent fixed annuity contract, the, the Surrender fee might start at 10% for two years and then drop to nine, then eight, then seven, then six. It works on a sliding scale. So that what that would mean is if you want to access your money, you have to pay a surrender penalty. And what that is making up for is the commission paid to the essentially insurance agent. Yep. Yeah. It's having the ability to earn upside potential without downside risk. And, um, you know, you could take out 10% in most contracts, 10% of your money. Sometimes it's lower. But if you want above and beyond that, guess what? You're going to be paying a pretty hefty penalty. And, and we didn't we didn't touch on that. That's the te- you could take out ten percent, meaning that's called the what they call the free withdrawal, right? Yeah, you, you have get, that free withdrawal limitation every year that you can take it out. You, you can, uh, hey, we'll give you ten percent of your own money. Yeah, <laughs> that makes me really happy. <laughs> hey, thanks. Yeah, and it, but and again, the exchange, and we've talked about this in other podcasts. Look, exchange isn't like when you're working with a custodian, you could just transfer over and take a withdrawal, and it's pretty seamless. It's paperwork, processing, faxing back and forth. I don't know who faxes nowadays still. <laughs> and it's processing these forms, getting into the insurance company. They have to process. They mail you most of the time a check. It's a daunting task. And it's a headache that when you probably need your money, you don't want to deal with. And I think all those processes are so you don't take the money out. They don't want you to take the money out. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I just thought of something. We're out here. We're on the West Coast. Why are most insurance and annuity companies in the Midwest? Is there a reason for that, Brent? Uh, I'm sure there is. I don't know what it is. I could research it out, though, and write. Yeah, right I it. mean, there's not a ton who are based on the West Coast, and, and I don't even think there might be a few up in the New York region, but... Yeah, tons of them are in the Midwest. Yes. There's not a lot of new insurance startups in the Silicon Valley. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Not on the annuity side, at least. Okay, so, you know, this is going to be one of the more complex disadvantages that we explain, but there are some really tax downsides to annuities. The first being that if you take after-tax money, that's money you've already paid tax on and you purchase an annuity. So an example of this would be maybe you put your savings account in an annuity, you're getting tax deferral. So you're not paying tax on that interest. But when you do pull your money out, your gains are being taxed at ordinary income. Josh, did I hit that right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think I just want to add too, because if your money's in a savings account, um, you probably get a tax form at the end of the year from the bank saying you earned, you know, twelve cents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the minimum's like ten dollars for you to get one, but you know, let's say it's fifteen dollars of interest that you earned that year, and a lot of times, you know, that's when an annuity is is sold, is saying we're going to get you more interest. We're going to defer that interest also, which is you know a benefit. Quotes. So yeah, no, well put. And when you take it out, it can cause headaches. Definitely. Right. And then the other way you're going to get sold an annuity, and this to me makes zero sense, is they're going to sell you an annuity and you're going to put your retirement money into it. Right. But if you do that, you are losing the tax advantage of annuity. Right. So basically you're taking a tax deferred option in your IRA or 401k and then you're putting in an annuity that's already tax deferred. And part of the re- most of the re- anybody who's doing an annuity that's doing it that makes the most sense is for tax deferral. But your IRA is already tax deferred, so that doesn't make sense. And and I still don't understand why so many people stick their IRAs or money into even variable annuities. It's like why? Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, if people, if you want to annuitize your IRA or you want to buy a essentially annuity with your IRA money. Just go to a portfolio manager, ask them to create some kind of bond or CD ladder. That's essentially what the insurance company is doing with your money. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole podcast of what the insurance company is doing with your money. Well, you're signed into that contract for 10 years. Yeah. that That's just something that I, I really baffles me is seeing retirement money. I mean, it's like a you're paying for a double wrapper. Like there's no double tax benefit yeah. for, for the, the IRA money uh, or retirement money in an annuity. I just... A lot of times it baffles me when I see that and uh, it actually frustrates me and it makes me want to help even more um, because, you know, someone was wrongfully sold that product. But that, again, we can go on that topic for for hours, right? Yeah, and I think that's something that's interesting because we have spent, you know, probably good, I don't know how long is this podcast around, Josh, 30 minutes? Yeah, we're about 35 minutes in. We spent a good 35 minutes kind of in a way bashing annuities, but I mean, they are positive and they do have a purpose. It's not a bash to me. Nobody could say annuities are great or annuities are bad. You can't say that. Annuities fit for a lot of people and there's a place for them. It's just regarding, are you using it for what it's intended to be? And most people are not. People aren't using it what it's for. What they are using them for is they're just being sold uh, an inferior product by an agent who wants to make commissions. That's all. Right. And a lot of to the companies that we do work with, because we do outsource annuities to insurance companies and they are fee only products and they're far superior than the products that you'd get sold. If you went to a steak dinner, you can't put your IRA into an annuity. They won't allow you to do it. Right. Yeah. That's how big of a no, no it is. Yeah. They don't take qualified money into their products. Right. So it's only money that would be in your savings account or your stock brokerage account yes. after tax after money. After tax money. They're very complex. I mean, there's so many things that go into, like so much planning that you have to do to even consider an annuity. Right. Like it, it isn't a product that, you know, it's not the magic pill. Right. That everyone gets that's going to cure their financial planning needs and retirement needs. But the annuities that are fee only, that, that fee only advisors work with are so clean they're just basic there's a couple of features here it's in black and white there's not a ton to that goes with it and it's very simple to understand it is not those complexities and buried legal language that's in those commission-based products yeah so when you do need one there are 
great products out there now that can absolutely, absolutely phenomenal help the that client. aren't going to tie up your money that you have some rate locks in there you can get out of if you need to there's phenomenal new annuities that came out and that all really started after 2015 no sign on bonus cuz there's no commission right yeah they're they're really good low surrender fees much higher cap rates if you want to go on the variable side I believe the insurance cost on the variable side is like 25 basis points. So, so small. And some, I think one of them has a $20 monthly fee, right? Yeah. Yeah. Really, really cheap and a, and a good option for people that need them. Yeah, Absolutely. Really affordable. Um, Brent, tell us, we know you, you have a lot of experience. Kind of how did you get in the industry? Uh, tell us a story. So I think it's important to understand that anybody who started in this industry, let's say five and even more or less 10 years ago, they really all started either two ways. They either started on the broker side or they started on the insurance side. And these are the types of companies that are recruiting you when you get out of college. They're the big conglomerates that are either wanting you to become a broker or they're wanting you to come sell some insurance. When I started, I started on the insurance side. That was big back then. And that was really had been picking up steam. So I learned and had a lot of experience in going through that. But as soon as 2015 hit and all the fiduciary rules changed, it was a complete game changer for fee-only advisors, for the landscape of the industry. And what I think is really awesome is that nowadays the colleges have now picked up financial planning as degrees. They are offering to get kids ready to take the CFP for when they graduate. And a lot of these kids coming out of the schools are now looking at fee-only advisory as a profession and not immediately jumping into the, to the insurance companies or the broker world where they're going to get stuck for 10 years going down this rabbit hole of not really knowing what's to do in the best interest of the client. And then they have to figure it out and it takes them 10 years to figure it out. A lot of people had and went down this way. And now it's not working like that. And I think it is so cool that these kids are coming out of school with their degree, getting their CFP and being able to be feeling. That is awesome. Yeah. One of my close friends, um, we graduated college 10 years ago and he, he became an advisor like I did. He didn't last in the industry though. And he ended up at a really poor, I guess, firm or shop. And he asked the senior advisor, a question on a client he was working on and he said hey I can't tell which product is best for the client can you help me and he said here's what you do buddy you sell the client the one with the highest commission first mm -hmm. and then in five years you go back and you sell them this one and tell them we need to make a change that's the financial that metric YTB yield to broker yeah yield to broker exactly <laughs> yep. he he quit his job and, and now I think he's a, a LAPD officer Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, really cool. So he's doing good. Anything left on, on today's annuities? I think we covered a lot and gave our listeners a lot to think about. I think that, you know, kind of just to summarize that for me is that there are a lot of new, you know, great financial products out there. So annuities do play a role for certain people, but it is very specific. And there are a lot of new um, great products out there um, to research. Um, and I think that, you know, with the fiduciary ruling that eventually didn't pass, but that kind of introduction to the industry has helped. And I think just to piggyback too, to see that more colleges are promoting fee-only advisors in the CFP is just exciting to see because it's all just helping clients in a better way, which ultimately, you know, it starts from, you know, the top and it's kind of trickling down to eventually help the clients putting their best interests first. So just very excited for the next generation as well. 
Yeah, this is something I've wanted to talk about with, and, and I could still talk about for hours and hours, just because there's so much that go into it, and it it is something that really gets me going. And the reason why is because it's black and white. You're either doing the right thing or you're doing the wrong. And if nowadays, with all that's there to offer, if you're selling a commission based annuity, to me, you're doing the wrong thing. I do not believe in it because it's just a hook to get paid. And the steak dinners, don't go to them. It's not worth it. They're just trying to sell you something, and chances are they can. They'll get you hooked in. I mean, if you want to go to a free dinner and walk away and not have to go to a meeting, then great. That's fine. But you got to be careful when you go to these things because they're just going to hook you. It's a business model that works. It's a business model that's successful, and that's why you get so many of these invitations because they're out there, and it's a well-oiled machine. Here's what you do. If you want to get one of those steak dinners, I, I, I believe this strategy will work if you're looking for a free steak dinner. <laughs> I'm excited to hear yeah, I'm, 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 I'm kind of holding my breath. <laughs> Go to the presentation. All right. Put an AirPod in one ear. Listen to your favorite podcast while the guy's yapping. Would that be the retirement plan playbook? Yes, exactly. Then when the food comes, say you have to run and ask for your food to go. Tell the agent... Hey, that was a great presentation. Fill out his little fact form. Put all fake info. Like I have to run. I, I have to. I have to work. Whatever. Make your excuse up. But I have two million dollars, and I'm seriously very interested in what you're talking about. Call me to set up a meeting. Yeah, that was like the ultimate troll. <laughs> <laughs> they'll they'll be so excited and they'll call that fake number, you know, a million times trying to get your two million dollars. But that's what I would do to get the free steak if yeah. you really want it. Here's the thing: it's just it. To be honest, it's not worth it. it. It could end up costing you so much, and it can change the outcome of the life that you want to live in retirement. Because it's it chances are it's not going to provide you what you thought it was. Well put. Um, do we have anything to recommend today? Yeah, I'll start. I uh, my recommends for today's show is uh, noise canceling earphones. So I went on a flight, the longest flight I've ever been on, and uh, Matt and Brent both recommended that I get noise canceling headphones. And I said, I "Think I said earphones, but yeah. noise canceling headphones." And awesome! I put those on. I watched movies with them. I slept with them on, and I didn't hear any, you know, noise on that 10 hour flight, which was just awesome. So I highly cool. recommend if you're taking a flight more than a couple hours to get some noise canceling headphones. That's a worthy investment right there. Brent, do you have anything? Uh, my RPA recommend of this uh, podcast would be uh, fitness studios. I have two that I go to locally and I absolutely love it. I love going to an hour class, getting a workout where I don't have to think about what I'm doing. They control the whole class. I'm very competitive, so I like sort of competing. I'm competing against myself and anybody else that's in there working out in the class. I think it's an outstanding way to get your maximum fitness for the hour that you have. I think it's a great use of time. I used to go to the gym. It's kind of pointless to stand there in the mirror, lift some weights. I like going to fitness studios. That's just my preference. Do you um, do you still have your gym membership, like your regular gym membership? No. No, I dropped Done. it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I dropped it. It's a waste of money. I mean... If I'm not using it, why would I be yeah, paying yeah, for yeah. it? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the studios too. What what studios do you go to in Rancho Cucamonga? I go to Orange Theory Fitness and I go to a Pedal Strength and Studio and love them both for different reasons. Yeah, since you started that, you've, you've really gotten shape I and mean, you look great. Yeah, just keep going a few times a week and I love it. It's a good stress reliever too. Yeah, um, you're the thinnest guy in the office now. Yeah. Josh, great job. <laughs> 
Um, all right, my recommend is a, another show. Um, this one's on HBO. If you aren't watching Succession, I highly recommend that show. It's about a family-run business and a, a media empire, kind of like if they took maybe they're trying to blend like the Fox empire maybe with, let's call it the New York Times or something like that. Right. A media empire, and they're trying to decide who in the family should run the business once the dad passes away. Really, really great show. Really well done. Season two just ended. Binge that show. Get caught back up with it so you could watch season three next year. Perfect. I got that queued up. Great nice. show. You'll love it. Yeah. If I'm, you like business, you'll like that show. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm excited to watch that. Anything left? We're good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on the Retirement Plan Playbook. As always, please uh, leave us a review on the podcast page on the iTunes store. You can find more about the podcast or retirementplanplaybook.com. And if you have any questions about today's episode or any questions you want us to go over in general, just drop us an email and we'll hit it on the next show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.